And uh, today, uh, we're, we're moving forward, and like I said, I'm just doing some single messages, some single series. It's not a series, it's just single messages. Last week, uh, if you missed last week, you can go to myfamchurch.com, and uh, a lot of you list, missed last week, and so I would challenge you to go out there to, uh, to myfamchurch.com, click on the media tab, and check out last week's message. But today, we're going to be in the book of Genesis, and we're going to be in chapter 4. We're going to be back in the Old Testament. Uh, if you know where Genesis is at, you're welcome to turn there. This one's easy to find even if you have no idea about anything in the Bible. It's the very first book in the Bible. So you open up your Bible, you see a table of contents, you move past that to the first book, and bam, there it is, the book of Genesis. And, uh, and uh, if you came here this morning and you don't have a Bible and you'd like a Bible, we've got free Bibles at our Connections desk. And so stop by Fam Connections on your way out the door. Tell them you need a Bible. They'll put a brand new Bible in your hands that you can take home with you today. But I want to start with this question. Have you ever given a half-hearted effort at something? Some of you live your lives in the half-hearted effort zone, don't you? You do everything with a half-hearted effort. But, but there's some of us that we like to give our all, we like to give it everything that we got, but even on occasions, we that like to give it everything we got, we sometimes give a half-hearted effort. I mean, I sometimes, I love to go full blast at everything I do, but there are occasions, there are times where even I say to myself, you know what, I'm not going to go full speed with that, I'm going to kind of slow down. As, you know, like, like when my wife, when she wants to go to the mall, I give a half-hearted effort when it comes to going to the mall. Okay, ladies, I do not see the point in going and looking at stores with stuff that you cannot afford to buy and sit there and dream of the day of what if. I just, it feels, that's like torture to me. I mean, why would you go look at stuff that you can't have and say, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to have this? No. And so when my wife wants to go to the mall, I drag my heels, I kind of, you know, slouch my way through the mall, and I can't wait to get out of there. I give a half-hearted effort. Well, one thing I gave a half-hearted effort with one time was canceling my cable. And I know you're probably saying, how do you give a half-hearted effort canceling your cable? Well, this is the story, okay? Um, we, Dana and I had just gotten married. We'd been married like six months. And uh, when, when, we first, when we first met, I had this passion. The passion was the University of Minnesota's hockey team. Okay, since I was a little tiny kid, the University of Minnesota has had one of the best hockey teams in the nation. They were always competing for national championships. And, and growing up in Minnesota, one of the things that you learn to do is play hockey because everything is frozen six months out of the year. And so you've got to do something with all of this frozenness. And so one of the things you do is play hockey. And so I grew up playing hockey. I, I played hockey from the time I was a little kid all the way up to uh, North Central, the, the college that I went to. Or eventually ended up at, they had intramural hockey, and I even played intramural hockey when I was at North Central. But, but hockey was just a part of life, and so they would play, starting in, thir starting in November through February, they would play every Friday and Saturday night. And so what our Friday nights consisted of was me sitting in front of the TV intensely watching this hockey game while my wife sat there going, can't we do something else this weekend besides sit here and watch hockey? Because she didn't enjoy hockey. She didn't find hockey interesting. She didn't care about it. And so finally, it came to a head and I said, yeah, you know what? I just got to cancel cable because if I don't cancel cable, I'm just going to sit and watch hockey and it's just going to drive her nuts. So I picked up my phone, and I called the cable company, and I said, hey, I need you to shut off cable. And uh, so they said, okay. And uh, back in the day, 
Nowadays, when you cancel cable, you call up, they put something in a computer, and you're gone like that. Well, see, this was the day where they actually had to come to the place you were living at and hit a switch uh, in your box or whatever in order to shut you off. And so, so I went out and I bought a TV antenna. Now, those of you under 20 might not know what a TV antenna is, but it's something that goes on your TV with ears or th things that stick up like this, and you receive TV through it. And it kind of blows your mind, right? Whoa. You know, but I went out and bought an antenna because I knew that's the way I was going to have to watch TV. And so I got the antenna, I put it there, but I knew it was going to be a couple of days before the cable company got over there to shut my cable off. And so my thought is, you know what, I'm just going to leave the cable hooked up for a couple of days to get that last couple of days juice out of the cable before it's completely gone. And so I waited a couple of days and nothing happened. Pretty soon a couple of days turned into a few days. Pretty soon a few days turned into a week. Pretty soon a week turned into two weeks. And the next thing I know, two weeks, it turned into a month. And I was thinking to myself, man, I hit the jackpot. These guys are so busy, they don't have time to come out and shut off my cable. Well, my world all changed one day when I opened my mailbox and found a bill in the mail from the cable company. So I opened the bill and they were charging me for that month that I had canceled. So I called them up and I'm like, hey, I canceled cable. Why are you billing me for this? The lady said, you did not cancel cable. You're just trying to get free cable. Well, she just accused me of lying, and so that made me mad because I know that I called up and I canceled my cable. And so me and this lady got in an intense argument, 45 minutes. I was furious. She was furious. It was just a long conversation. And how it ended was this. They were going to cut off my cable the next day as long as I paid for the last month. And so that's what ended up happening. But here's the thing. My half-hearted effort at getting rid of my cable ultimately ended up costing me something. Instead of saying whatever, when my cable was still on, I should have put in some time, I should have put in some effort, I should have paid a price to figure out what was going on rather than being half-hearted about it. And uh, as I said already, being half-hearted about it ultimately ended up costing me something that I really didn't want to pay. And with that in mind, let's move over to Genesis and what we're going to look at this morning. And so, if you, like I said, we're in Genesis chapter 4. And just before we jump right into the text, I want to give you a little bit, bit of background information on the book of Genesis. And uh, tradition tells us that a guy named Moses wrote the book of Genesis when the Israelites were wandering for 40 years in the desert after they had left slavery in Egypt. And so, and so they, they spent 40 years in slavery in Egypt, and they, then they you know, let my people go. And many of you have seen the movies, even if you've never read the stories of the Red Sea parting and all these people going through it. That was, that was Moses leading these people. They spent 40 years wandering, and in that time, he wrote this book called Genesis. And, uh, and this is the deal, is that, 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 you know, we're not sure if Moses really wrote it. I can't prove that Moses really wrote it, but, but you know, when you look at the book and you look at the, the places and the times and the clothing and how things were handled and done, uh, how Genesis describes it, it seems fairly accurate, and they've never found archaeological evidence that is, that is uh, contradicted the accounts found in Genesis. And so, and so even though we don't know if Moses really wrote it for sure, I kind of take it as historically accurate. And so with these events in chapter 4, I conclude that they are historically accurate because the rest of the book is historically accurate, okay? And so we're going to read uh, Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. And this is what it says. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. 
So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It deserves to have you, but you mu- or it desires to have you, but you must rule it over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out into the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out from me from the ground. Now, you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. All right, so these events, Genesis chapter 4, take place right after Adam and Eve fall and are kicked out of the Garden of Eden. And if you don't know uh, about that story, about these events, Adam and Eve, they were in the Garden of Eden. Everything was great. They were given one rule, do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's all you have to do. Well, Adam and Eve... They, they, they couldn't follow this thing, and they ate this fruit, and it brought sin into the world, and it broke their connection with God, and it brought a curse down upon mankind. And that's the fruit. We are reaping the fruit of them eating that fruit now to this day. And so Adam and Eve, they're kicked out of the garden. They're hanging out. They got nothing to do. And so what else do you do when you got nothing to do? You make some babies, right? And so Adam and Eve, they hook up, and they have their first kid, and his, the first child's name is Cain. And the other one is named Abel. The meaning of each of these names, I think, plays a role in what transpires here in these verses. In Hebrew, the name Cain means to acquire or to get. Why is that relevant? Well, here's what the belief is about Cain and how he got his name. See, in Genesis 3.15, after Adam and Eve fell, God came and made a promise to Eve and Adam. He said to him, look, you are going to bear, you're going to, you're going to produce a son. You're going to bear a seed, and that seed is going to crush the serpent's head. That was the promise that was given to Adam and Eve after sin came into the world. And so Eve, the thought was with Eve was that Cain was the dude who was going to crush the head of the serpent. She thought that Cain was going to be the child that was going to destroy sin, the serpent, which is the devil, and the curse that came because of sin. You know, even though uh, she had acquired the promise made by, uh, Eve thought that she had acquired the promise made by God when she gave birth to this first son. And I think we can all relate to why Eve thought this, right? Because when God makes promises to us, a lot of times we try to grab onto them, we try to bring them into the here and now, and we expect them to happen right away. Like I've known people who've who've said, you know, God has promised to me that me or this friend or this family member who is sick is going to receive healing. And so immediately we start praying for it and we expect healing to come right away. We expect it to come in the next days or in the next weeks. Or or somebody has been promised that a loved one is going to return to God and, and start to follow God again. And so we believe that and we say that's going to happen in the next days or weeks or even months but the deal is with God's promises many times they don't take place right after the promise is made a lot of times when God makes a promise it's months it's years it's decades or sometimes it's even generations before those promises are fulfilled well here with Eve and and with this promise of the uh of the seed uh Eve thought that this promise was going to be fulfilled right away just like we did and so and so that's where she was at she looked at her firstborn son and she claimed this promise of, the, of being the one that broke the bondage, that's going to break the hold of sin from Cain. Eve thought Cain was the chosen one. He was the Anakin Skywalker. He was the Harry Potter. He was Poe the Kung Fu Panda. He was the one that was going to reverse the curse. That's what Eve thought. But that was not the only child that Eve had. There was Cain's brother Abel. His name in Hebrew means temporary. 
being uh, given that name had more than I think Eve even realized. I don't think Eve thought that Cain would kill Abel, making his life much more temporary than everyone else's in the family. But in naming him that, she was making a statement, or at least I think she was. I mean, just think about it. Think if your parents named you temporary. How would you feel about that? What would that make you feel? What would that speak into your life? Well, see, here is where Cain, or Abel is at. He is the brother who is told as temporary. He's got his one brother who is the chosen one, the one who has acquired something. And then he's got the other brother here that's the temporary brother that's Abel. And so they were living in this environment where the, the mom then looked at the one son who was, who was the one who had acquired something, the one who was going to do something great. She looked at him and said, that's my boy right there. But then she turned and she saw Abel, her other son. And I'm sure that if birth control had been available back in those days, that Eve would have gone on birth control after she had Cain because she didn't even see a need or a use for Abel because he was only temporary. And their names spoke into their life. And so when we get into verse 3, this plays out in what happens with the sacrifice that both of them offer. The writer of Genesis tells us that in the course of time, Abel brought an offering of some of the fruits of the soil. But in regards to Abel, it tells us that he brought fat portions from some of the firstborn from his flock. And to understand what's being said here, we have to understand the whole concept of sacrifice in the Old Testament, okay? We have to understand what God looked for in a sacrifice. Now, I'm going to read a couple of passages that actually come from after the time that Cain and Abel were alive. It's going to come from books that were written after Cain and Abel. But I believe that God had told Adam and Eve how a sacrifice worked because, because God judged, God spoke to Cain and God spoke to Abel in regards to how they offered the sacrifice so they knew this information even though we don't have it written down until later in the old testament this is what it says about sacrifices we're going to start in deuteronomy 26 1 and 2 we're going to go to leviticus you don't have to turn there uh, they'll be on the screen behind me but we're going to read uh first deuteronomy 26 verses 1 through 2 and then verse 10 and then after that we're going to go to leviticus 23 19. And this is what Deuteronomy 26 says. It says, When you have entered the land, the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it. Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name. And then verse 10 says this, And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Then Leviticus 23, 19 says this, Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. So here's what's relevant to the, the text we read in Genesis chapter 4. Okay, Deuteronomy tells us that God required the first fruits of every crop that people grew. So what does that mean? If you grew something, the first fruit that your crops produced was supposed to be picked, was supposed to be pulled, and it was supposed to be brought to God as a sacrifice, okay? And so the first thing of whatever, if you were doing grapes, your first cluster of grapes, you brought it down to the temple and gave it to God. If you were growing tomatoes, you pulled the first tomato and you took it down to the temple and gave it to God. Then the second thing was is with those who grew animals or raised livestock, you were required to bring two lambs a year old. Now, why is that important? Well, here's what we need to know about that. Okay, in the Old Testament, God required the lambs to be brought as a sacrifice once a year. 
And so the reason that the lamb was required to be one year old was because it would have been the first couple of lambs born after last year's sacrifice. So basically, he was requiring the first two lambs born to you in, a pre, in, a, in whatever year it was to be offered and given as a sacrifice. So you're required to bring the first fruits, whatever your crops grew, grab the first fruits, bring them down to the temple and offer them to God. And whatever animals your animals had, you're supposed to take the two of them and bring them to the temple and offer them as a sacrifice to God. You're supposed to bring the first of whatever it is you grew. And so now listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 4 about their sacrifices. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. You see what happened there? See, Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flocks. But it says that Cain, in the course of time, brought some of the fruits of the soil. What we're being told here is that Cain, instead of bringing the first fruits of his crops, brought something when he felt like it. He brought something when he had time. He brought something when he had enough food to take care of his family for the year. Then he went and gave something to God. And I think the reason that he did this was because he was Cain. He was going to crush the head of the serpent. He was the chosen one. He was the one who was going to destroy the curse that God, that had been brought upon human beings because of Eve's sin. He was the superhero. He was the good kid. He was not like that brother of his. He was special, and God was lucky to have him on his team. And because God was the lucky one, I think that he thought he didn't need to follow the same rules that everyone else had to. Abel had to bring stuff of the firstborn because he was temporary. But the one that was going to acquire the fix for the mess that the world was in played by different rules. He didn't have to make the same sacrifices his brother had to make. He could do what he wants, when he wants, and how he wants. And God had no choice and couldn't do nothing about it because he was the chosen one. He was Cain. And here's my concern. The first thing is this. I feel like this mentality of Cain has crept over into the American church. See, we somehow see ourselves as different from everybody else. We don't think that we need to make the same sacrifices because of who we are. We are different than other believers because we live a different lifestyle. We are different than other believers because more is asked of our time in life, and so we don't have to make the same kind of sacrifices. We are different than other believers because we have more, we have better, and we have different options for our life. We are different and don't need to make the same sort of sacrifices that others do. We conclude, well, Christians that have different lives than us, they need to make the sacrifices, but I don't got time for that. God knows that, and God's okay with me not doing that because I'm special, because I'm different. Can I tell you this morning that's not how God rolls? Can I tell you this morning that God doesn't look at somebody and say, you have to do this, but this person over here who is special, he just kind of winks at them and says, oh, it's okay, you can do whatever you want to because you're special. God does not roll like that. 
we don't get special standing. We don't get special standing because we are Americans. We don't get special standing because of the jobs we work. We don't get a special standing because of how many sports our kids are in. We don't get special standing because of how much we love the beach. We don't get special standing in anything. And God expects the same sacrifice out of us that he expects out of believers around the world. The second thing that I see here is God is not pleased when we make our sacrifices in the course of time. Or in other words, when we make sacrifices that we want to make when we want to make them. You see, when Jesus called us, when Jesus saved us, when Jesus set us free, he called us to live a life of sacrifice. This is what it says in Luke 14, verses 25 through 27. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. See, Jesus makes it clear that sacrifice is not optional if we are following him. It is not an app that we add to our phone and take out and use when we need to use it or when we feel like using it. But sadly, that's what Jesus has become to many people in the American church. Jesus has become an option amongst our many options, and the idea of following him has become twisted from the picture that Jesus originally painted. And so now, what do we call sacrifice? Or when we come to church, instead of going to the beach, we call it a sacrifice. When we choose to put our kids in 12 sports teams and are never around, never have time to get involved in ministry, we say we're making a sacrifice. When we work 50, 60, 70 hours a week and have no time for getting plugged in with other believers and no time for growth, we say we're making a sacrifice. When we stop giving to God of our finances because we have a vacation or furniture to pay for, we say we're making a sacrifice. But that's not the sacrifice that Jesus is looking for. Sorry, my, app, my thing is not working all the time. We've forgotten the meaning of what it means to sacrifice. And I think some of you are probably looking up at me right now and saying, yeah, you're an idiot. I don't get life. You don't, I don't understand what life is all about. Some of you are probably saying to yourself, I don't like it when he's not in a series because the last two weeks he's been all intense. Just like last week, if we want to see Mulberry changed, it's not going to happen by us saying, man, I really made a sacrifice today because I went to church instead of going to the beach. That's not going to change this city at all. When we have too much stuff going on with our family, with our work, with our school, with our life, to not offer any sort of sacrifice to Jesus, it doesn't help us, and it doesn't help advance the kingdom of God. The only way the kingdom of God is going to be advanced is when we as the church 
of Jesus decide the most important thing in this world is that our family, our friends, our neighbors, they are lost and without, without us living the life that Jesus has called us to live, they are going to enter into an eternal destiny completely separated from God. And it bothers me that so many believers don't look at their neighbor and say, man, I'm just not setting the greatest example of what it means to follow Jesus, and they're gonna go to, they might go to hell because of it. Too many of us go, I don't care if they go to hell. I got a life to live, and I don't need God interfering with my life. There's this church in Alabama called Church of the Highlands. Mega church, humongous, 20-some thousand people. The pastor went to, uh, he went to speak for two weeks. He couldn't say the country because it's illegal to talk about Jesus in this country. And he went there to work with the underground church. You don't know what an underground church is? It's a church that they meet in houses and they meet in secret places so that the government doesn't know that they're there because if the government finds out they're there, they're going to jail. Uh, they're, they're going, they could even get killed. They could even be executed for believing in Jesus. And he said he went there, and he would be, the, the people would work all day long, okay? And then they would come, and he would literally teach the Bible to these underground churches for six, seven, eight hours after they had worked all day. And when he told them, it's getting late, and you have to get up in the morning, you know what they would say? We don't care, because what we are learning can change our life. He was so shaken by this because he knew what his megachurch back in Alabama was like. You know, the American dream was the center of Christianity, and so he got back there, and he called the church to live a life of sacrifice like Jesus called us to live. And here's what happened. People sold their large suburban homes, and they moved into the inner cities, Small homes. They went from four or 5,000 square foot houses into 12, 1,300 square foot houses so that they could start a group in their house to minister to these underprivileged neighborhoods. He had men and women who had six-figure salary jobs who quit their jobs, went to work for the school board, making about a third of what they were getting paid, so that they could be in a place where they were making a difference instead of just making a life for themselves. Some people just said, you know what? My job's demanding 60 or 70 hours a week from me, and I want to do what Jesus has called me to do. And so they just found different jobs that demanded less hours and took less pay so that they could make an impact for the kingdom of God. And this church is literally doing crazy things in Birmingham, Alabama, they're touching so many lives, the homeless, the poor, and so many other people because the people chose that Jesus and sacrificing for him has far more value and worth than sacrificing everything to live the American dream. And if we want to reach Mulberry, that has to be our heart as well. See, we need to be people who live a sacrificial life, a life that sacrifices where Jesus has called us to sacrifice. And I know some of you have shut me out already because you're thinking that I'm saying, oh, you just, you just want us to ignore your family, not care about anything else, pretend like it, nobody else exists, and go after Jesus for the sake of everyone else. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the sacrifices that you make 
are more geared towards yourself and your family getting better or having a better life, and Jesus is second, the God that you actually serve is yourself and your family and not Jesus. And when God is not our God, we are in great trouble. Because look what happened to Cain. As we continue to read, the text tells us that, that God came to him and said, Cain, because of the way you're living, sin is crouching outside of your door. This week I was, uh, I was upstairs. I can't remember why I was even upstairs. I was up here somewhere. And uh, I was looking in a closet in, the, in this room. And so anyways, I come, come down the stairs, running down the stairs. And uh, Jason Hathaway thought it would be fun to scare me. And so, so he hid behind the each one reach one banner and then jumped out at me as I came down to the bottom of the stairs. That's what sin is waiting to do. It's looking for an opportunity. It's looking for a place. It's looking for a spot to jump out on us and get on us. And see, when we're not living the life of sacrifice that Jesus has called us to live, we're doing something called disobedience. And when we're disobeying God, guess what we're doing? We are sinning. Okay, it's using us, it's using an opportunity to get in, to get on, and to mess us up. So many of us, I think there's so many believers who are tangled up in so much sin in their lives that they can't shake because they can't live a life of sacrifice. And if they were just to walk in and say, God, I'm just going to sacrifice. I'm not going to give myself to all of these other things, but I'm going to give myself fully to you. So much of that sin would be broken off of their lives because the doors and the opportunities for that stuff to get into them would be shut. And that's what God can do. He can shut those doors. If we live our lives giving God the first fruits of our sacrifice to him, and it's going to change the situation. It's going to change the battle. It's going to change the fight. It's going to change everything when we make that choice. And so the question is, can we become that church? Can we become the church that is so crazy for Jesus that we say, you know what? Whatever it takes, God, I'm going to do. Whatever it takes, God, I am going to do it because I want to see this city changed. I want to see this place changed. I mean, this week, we, I had, Jason and I went over to, to a person's house who the mom has been off. It's three teenagers in the house. One of them doesn't even belong there. Um, um, the kids, uh, the, the mother was, was disappeared. She was off on a drug binge. The grandmother was there living on Social Security trying to take care of this family. It, it was just, a, it was a horrible situation. How are we going to reach them? We're not going to reach him by chasing the American dream. We're going to live our lives by sacrificing for the kingdom of God, by saying, Jesus, your will, your plans, and your purposes first. We need to stop trying to get the cable TV for free because ultimately there's going to be a price that we're going to pay for it. If Joe, you could come back up or whoever's coming up to play music, And so this is, the, this is the challenge. I can't tell you where, what, how, why. That's between you and God. You have to search your heart and ask God and say, God, where am I missing this? God, what am I doing? How am I missing the market in living a life of sacrifice? 
so what we're going to do is we're going to take a minute. I just want everyone to close their eyes, bow their heads, spend a minute in prayer with God. And I, and I want to tell you, you know, this message is, as I was writing it, it's, it, was, it was messing with me because, you know, I, some of you guys know this, a lot of you don't, but uh, I've been occasionally doing prayer walks sometimes with my wife, sometimes by myself through the neighborhoods here in Mulberry. And uh, we're in a broken city. And as I was writing this message, I even thought to myself, how am I going to reach these broken people? I mean, am I going to be willing? Because, you know, we live in a nice house. We live in a nice neighborhood. I like where I live. But am I willing to sell the house in our nice neighborhood and maybe move over here behind the church in one of these neighborhoods, one of the neighborhoods on the other side of 37, so that I can make a difference? I mean, that's right where I'm at right now. I'm struggling with this, this thought and this decision of, do I need to do something like that in order to reach this community? And I think God wants to do that things like that with each and every one of us. And so just spend a minute. I just want you to spend a minute in the presence of God, just asking God, God, where am I missing you? 